Welcome to Weather Hype, a podcast for a casual weather conversation. I'm Castle Williams. And I'm in fun. On this week's episode of Weather Hype, we're talking all about the historic Louisiana flooding. Yeah, and kind of see how it relates to climate change and if we can actually use climate change as a reason behind the flooding. And also we'll dive into the meteorology behind why it rains so much in Louisiana. Then we'll take a look at the social science aspect of why isn't the media covering the story. And then we'll look at the National Climatic Data Center and look at an archive of different billion dollar disasters and see how the Louisiana floods compare to past events that we've had recently. And as with any disaster, you're going to have viral images and viral videos, and we'll share some of those that we have come across. And of course, we'll have our social hour where there are some interesting stories to talk about. And the song of the week as well. So stay tuned. Weather Hype is coming up in 3, 2, 1. Booyah. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together. Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather. I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast. By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back. No, no, I wasn't always like this. Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit. Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency. I could take you February and turn it into spring. Hello, hello, Castle. How art thou? I hope you're feeling a little bit better compared to last time. I'm doing a lot better, and you can tell by my voice, so so much better. When I heard back at the uh, other podcast, I actually thought your voice sounded kind of, I don't know, not nice, it but... It was sexy, right? <laughs> It was that sexy, sick voice that you have. Like, voice. Oh, yeah. Weather Come hype. hither. Weather hype is next. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that people that just tuned into the podcast probably think that we are not quite what we are. But anyway. <laughs> um, but anyway, how, how's everything else going for you? Going great. Um, school started and moved into my place, trying to get all my furniture together so I can quit sitting on the floor. Um, but other than that, pretty good. What about you? We're finally in the same time zone. Yes. Again. I am back from my lovely summer in Denver, Colorado and beyond. Um, it was a little bittersweet. I had a lot of goodbyes last week saying bye to a lot of people, my coworkers, my friends I met. It was great being out there. And I think the first thing that kind of really made me realize that I was gone was when I stepped off the airplane in Charlotte, which I had to connect through and the humidity just like whoosh hit me in the face like oh my god what is this moisture it felt like i was coming out of the shower it really does and um i'm not quite used to it yet (laughs) um and i'm pretty much just packing up my stuff i'm heading out back to north carolina in a couple of days so um, as soon as i unpack and wash my clothes i have to repack everything and take it up to uh up 95 to uh, my school in greenville well that sounds like a lot of fun not really (laughs) actually sounds kind of dreadful well, actually, you want to hear something else that's not fun and, and kind of dreadful? Yes. I um, I have to have a uh, a colonoscopy tomorrow. Oh. And so... Be- have you suddenly aged to the age of 50? <laughs> <laughs> oh, apparently. Um, So a colonoscopy, for what people don't... If people don't know that, is kind of a um procedure in a way. They kind of just uh, stick a camera up your arse. <laughs> and um, they kind of take a look up your uh, colon and everything. I had a checkup a few months ago and they kind of uh, saw some interesting things so they wanted to make sure that I would be okay and so we just scheduled a colonoscopy. So part of that means that the day before the procedure I am not allowed to eat anything really. I can only consume clear liquids and like broth or bullion for food 
Um, mm. So I'm currently starving really badly right now. <laughs> it's it's 5 p.m. and um, my stomach is killing me. And I've only had soda and um, chicken broth all day. And Have you had clear soda, like Sprite? Well, no. The something? thing is, apparently cola, like normal Coke, is fine. But I don't, oh. I don't get that. I I thought that I was they're like you probably because it cleans it cleans you out because it what because all, all the preservatives and stuff in there. Well, I I mean you've seen the YouTube videos where people clean their toilets with Coke. I know, but you don't want to clean your body with Coke. That's like not good. <laughs> Would you like to clean your colon with Coke? No, it's not. It's like it's going to dissolve your your meat. You don't want that. <laughs> you don't want anything to dissolve your body. Dissolve your meat. We Dissol- don't want to dissolve meat. <laughs> anyway um so yeah and um the worst part hasn't even started yet because i have to take this liquid um it's a four liter Mm. container mind you it's like barium right huh isn't it called barium no that's the metal it's not barium isn't barium it is but i'm pretty sure it's called barium well mine is called like something prep and it's pretty much just um a liquid you have to drink and it's like sodium bicarbonate or something I forgot what it was. Um, and pretty much it induces you to clear your bowels. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and so barium is what you take when you do the test. What test? Like when you take a test to see if you like a spelling test? No, <laughs> like to see if your colon, like see how your colon is functioning and stuff. Oh, it shows up in like the X-ray, X-ray or whatever. Yeah. Okay, no, no, this is different. Yeah. Um, so I have to start like drinking that liquid at six, 6 p.m. And uh, 6 p.m. is kind of approaching quite pretty quickly. 40, 40 minutes. TikTok. Yeah. So you'll probably, I'll probably have to take a quick break and start drinking it here. And I have to drink eight fluid ounces every 15 minutes until I drink two liters. Um, so that's kind of gross. So I will be chugging, not the type of chugging I prefer, but a chugging <laughs> that is going to induce, um, you know, bowel movement slash bowel evacuations. <laughs> um so tmi but i i figured you guys should know you know the health of your podcast host is very important <laughs> wow we're like eight minutes into this and we haven't even gotten to the real topic yet um so that's cool uh but anyway so i guess we can uh jump into some more serious stuff um the louisiana flooding is, is rather unfortunate um a lot of things have happened and castle you have a, a breakdown of some of the numbers right yeah, I do. So we have to give props to the Louisiana National Guard because they have done so much. They've rescued so many people and pets. So right now, I think it's right around 11,085 people uh, have been rescued. And I'm sure that number is much greater. But that's the stat we have now. Around 1,400 pets have been rescued. 350,000 bottles of water have been given out. 784,000 sandbags have been used. So these stats are just incredible. And a little bit behind the reason for the flooding in Louisiana. Um, so this is an article off of Scientific American. I haven't had a chance to really dissect it, but the article was discussing the idea of the jet stream, right? So the jet stream is a really dominant um, weather maker and kind of determinant of, of what kind of weather we see in the United States, in the continental United States. And the jet stream was kind of chilling and meandering over the um, U.S.-Canadian border. And also, there was a really large dome of high pressure along the East Coast. Together with those larger scale uh, weather phenomena and um, patterns, then we had a um, low pressure system that kind of generated and developed off the coast of Florida. 
because of the jet stream and the high pressure dome in place, it kind of kept the low pressure system sitting there for a while. And what we call it is a uh, cutoff low. And so it was just kind of meandering and sitting in one location. It just dumped a ton of rain and tapped into the moisture from the Gulf and just pretty much dumped it all over Baton Rouge, middle parts of Louisiana. And that was kind of why we had so much rainfall in such a small amount of time. And I think in, um, in a span of roughly 40 hours, they had so much rainfall in one town, roughly uh, a little bit under two feet. So about 22 inches of rain fell in a span of a little bit over two days. So that is some extremely high numbers and um, rather unfortunate too. Yeah, this I thought this article was really, from a science communication perspective, it was very, like it broke down the disaster very well. Like it had like five different points that they tried to get across. And I thought based on that, information it was very i mean they dissected the event very well in very distinct way the one thing that i have a question about and this is something that i've always it's always been confusing to me is when we describe events as like one in once in a hundred year flood event or once in 500 year flood event or in this case it's a once in a thousand year flood event what exactly does that mean and is that the best way we could communicate that correct me if i'm wrong but from my understanding statistically it's showing like a percentile of the likelihood that that kind of event would occur based on historical records and information. And so a 1 in 1,000 flood event would technically, statistically mean that in a 1,000 years, you'd see that kind of rainfall event happening one time in that 1,000 years. But there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not we should even use those terms because we're seeing these events happen more often, right? So we've had flooding events happen throughout the country, even within the past few months in Ellicott City in Maryland, and then also in Houston. And these are one in 1,000 and one in 500 year flood events, right? But we've seen these events happen more than, you know, in the past decade or two. In Houston, I can already remember in, I believe, 2001, Tropical Storm Allison completely left in a really bad state with all the flooding. And Houston's had a, a decent amount of major flooding events since then, too. So saying it's a one in... 1,000 or 1 in 500 year flood event to people makes it seem like, oh, it doesn't happen very often. And yeah, granted, if let's say Houston got hit twice within the past 20 years, maybe we'll go 2,000 years without seeing anything and it'll validate to a 1 in 1,000 flood event. But people, I think, oftentimes may look at that and and say, okay, well, yeah, I guess it's kind of dramatic in saying that, wow, this is only supposed to happen once every 1,000 years and it's happening now. They shouldn't think that it can't happen tomorrow or next year it very well could these probabilities are often used i believe in fema floodplain mapping so Mm -hmm. if you're seeing like a one in 500 year floodplain kind of event thing going on you're dealing with uh, mapping out different areas and kind of determining what kind of flood insurance they should get and how it kind of goes into the national flood insurance program so these have implications in terms of insurance and economics and stuff like that that i don't fully understand but that's Mm -hmm. my understanding of the event and the characterization in general. No, and you're right. Like I'm reading this right here. It says a one in 100 flood event means that there's a 1% chance of occurrence in any given year. And so when you start making that higher, like 500 would be half a percent or a thousand years, it would be like one hundredth of a percent. Okay. Gotcha. So it's pretty interesting. And it makes me wonder like how do flood ins- people who give out flood insurance, how do they communicate this to the people they're giving insurance 
too? And like, do they have a simpler way of discussing it with people or how do they, how do they utilize this information and present it in such a way that can be understood by their audience? Every so-and-so amount of years, FEMA and other uh, folks will survey different areas and then look at how the land has changed. If there have been any structures that have been put in place, like a dam or a levee that could potentially mitigate some flooding issues. And then they'll have a, um, when they look at all the information, they redraw the flood maps. They'll have a, a town hall kind of forum or a town hall meeting to bring community members together. And then they'll talk about what changes happened between the last survey and the most recent survey. And then the community is expected to come out and then kind of learn about it and then see how their uh, flood rates have changed since the last time. And if they, they might be in a flood plane one time and then when the map is changed they could either be in a floodplain or they might be taken out of the floodplain but these kind of town hall forums are essential to getting that information out but what they discuss there and if they discuss it effectively that's another that's another story i just found a what should be a pretty good podcast um, from the National Flood Coordinator of the USGS talking about this terminology and how it can be confusing. So we'll definitely throw that up on the website. Sounds good. So thinking about all these terms and how flood maps may change from year to year, how does this really connect with climate change or what is the connection that links these extreme weather events to climate change? So when you have a big discussion about climate change in general, you know, people want to say, oh, that tornado was directly an effect of climate change, or this event or that event is directly um, in relation to the idea of global warming and how there's anthropogenic human-induced uh, changes to the climate. As a meteorological enterprise and society, we have to better communicate the idea of how climate change can impact our weather. And so it's not, it's kind of unfair in a way and not really justified to blame one specific event and say, okay, climate change caused that. So you can't say that climate change itself caused the Louisiana flooding or the Houston flooding or the Maryland flooding. But what you can say is that with our kind of estimate and understanding of how climate change is um, progressing, we would expect to see these type of events more often. So in terms of of heavy rain events or flooding or drought, um, these are things that we're expecting to see more and more of with the extension of how climate change and the trends of how climate change is moving. In terms of like convective, severe weather, like tornadoes, the relationship between climate change and tornado development is rather unclear. So a lot of people like to say, oh, well, we haven't seen as many tornadoes as as we have in recent years. And you say climate change is happening. Well, bah, humbug, you're wrong. But we've already established we don't really fully understand how climate change relates to tornadoes. But the idea is really simple, that with a warming earth and warming environment and atmosphere, um, the atmosphere can hold more water vapor. And so if it can hold more moisture, more oftentimes than not, you can have a lot more heavier rainfall events, right? Because the more atmospheric moisture means heavier rainfall and um, the need to kind of get rid of that water vapor and moisture. And, and, and that can be happening through extremely heavy rainfall events. So these are things we expect to see more often, but you can't um, definitively say that specific thunderstorm was related to climate change. You know, looking at the pattern overall, Within the past, I believe, uh, about five or six decades, you can see there's a map with an article, and I'll post that as well, the um, kind of increase in the amount of heavy rain events. And these heavy rain events are defined as the heaviest 1% 
of all daily rain events. So between 1958 and 2012, the northeastern states, including some of the mid-Atlantic, they've seen a 71% increase in extremely heavy rainfall events. Kind of the Great Lakes area of Minnesota all the way over to Ohio down to Missouri, they've seen a 37% increase in heavy rain events. And these numbers are kind of across the board throughout the country. Some regions of America and the United States are less, like California, around uh, Nevada, New Mexico, Colorado. They've only seen a 5% increase. And Hawaii has actually seen a 12% decrease in the amount of extremely heavy rainfall events. But it is kind of uh, unnerving to see um, how many people are being affected. And with this rain event in Louisiana... It's not even a hurricane. It's not even a tropical storm. It doesn't even have a name. But look at the impact it's having on people, right? And you're going to jump into some of that, Castle. Yeah, but first, I think it's really interesting that you brought up this idea of we cannot blame any particular event on climate change. And I think that these two articles that we will post that talk about like the meteorology behind this disaster, as well as how it's linked to climate change, both lead what they do not know. They say this same mantra over and over and over again. We cannot blame any particular event on climate change, when in fact we should lead with what we do know. Yeah. We do know that in the case of heavy downpours, that a warmer atmosphere holds more moisture. So therefore, in the future, we should expect more rain events. So instead of leading with, oh, we can't blame this event on climate change. We should instead think about how we're communicating this climate change um, information and kind of lead with these things that we do know so that we're not automatically throwing up these negative terms and these we, like this, these knots and these no's and all these things that kind of come up and it kind of throws someone's opinion off when they read that. But do you think anybody who's reading it appreci uh, appreciates the uh, candor and, and how we're handling the situation and saying, okay, Here's what we don't know. And we're not trying to kind of bury that information later on the article. We're kind of leading with what we know is, is true. And we don't really say that heavy rain events are directly resolved to climate change, but we kind of acknowledge something. And do you think that acknowledgement could be a good thing? The fact that they led with what we don't know, could that be a potentially good thing too and not all negative? I think I think it depends on the way you word it, the type of words you use. If you're using negative phrases like we don't know, we like the things that we don't like you I don't think you should ever use like a contraction or any type of negative word when you're leading with something because that automatically puts the reader in a negative position or taking the negative position before they hear the positive even if it may not be considerably positive but the the wording and the framing of the idea is going to be negative or positive so i think if you framed it in such a way that it's like here's what we do know i mean we could say here's what we do know that we don't know without saying the word don't. So I guess in terms of communicating the ideas of whether it is climate change or communicating and covering the Louisiana flood, there's been a lot of backlash and a lot of people who are angry about the lack of coverage from a lot of the network TV stations, from a lot of the newspapers. Um, most of the coverage I've seen has come from uh, local media or regional uh, news stations and stuff, and they get picked up um, and broadcasted to other local TV stations. But I really haven't seen the discussion of this flood very much on, you know, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. So there's been a few articles, um, like you said, most of them have been kind of local and then picked up later on. But we're in a really difficult news cycle right now. We have the Olympics going on, everyone's caught up in that. We have the campaign that's kind of going a little bonkers with things that Trump does every day and 
how that may affect the news cycle. So yeah, there's lots of things going on. Once again, like you mentioned, it doesn't have a name. And as much as it pains me to say that that does have somewhat of an impact. But there's just a lot of things going on and kind of slipped through the cracks. It happened on a weekend. A lot of news stations don't really do a lot of coverage on the weekend. And plus, I think a lot of reporters and ways to get media coverage require people to be there. And when there's a flood and when there's high waters and people are being rescued, it's hard to be physically there because there's so much chaos or so much disaster going on okay so i have a few points to bring up with that so with the whole flood event and and the lack of coverage that has to kind of be sexy and i read somewhere where they were talking about how the area that was affected it wasn't really new orleans that was affected it was areas west of new orleans right yeah baton rouge had some impact too but a lot of the other areas aren't really known to people so if you're Mm -hmm. covering a story you want to have like a big notable american city that's being affected and if not people won't right. really know as much about what's going on or like oh that city you don't really know much about that city though that was one argument right? right and then the other argument is it's hard to deploy your resources in those locations and i kind of get that but from a tv station standpoint because i used to work at one you can oftentimes a national tv station can get local broadcast feeds and feed that into their national products too and they can also tap into their local affiliate as well. You can broadcast a local news feed into the national news website and have those reporters on the ground because they're already living there. They can cover it and then they can use that uh, video for the national newscast. So I'm not really sure how that could really be an issue. It'd be helpful to have folks like from CBS or the New York Times or anybody else physically on the ground. But in the meantime, you can use your local TV station folks until you can get people on the ground. So something else that I've been questioning is this lack of coverage. People are freaking out about the lack of coverage. What does coverage bring to an event like this? For people who don't really understand climate change or don't think it's real, this brings an opportunity. The coverage would, it would bring an opportunity to talk about this kind of event and then people can make their own decisions based on that. If people look at this flood event and say, oh my God, climate change is real, even though that's not necessarily how you should look at the event, if that does and can persuade public opinion, then cool. Because then they might be more open to talking about climate change. If there's no coverage of it, you kind of see where the priorities lie in terms of the Olympics, in terms of uh, Justin Bieber's Instagram, um, in terms of these, you know, really frivolous stories that we shouldn't care about as a society. And so if we cover this flood more, it would really understand and show how our media performs and how they really do give credit to the more important stories that people should be caring about. But I think it's kind of telling of what we do care about as a society. And that is celebrities and sports and stuff like that. And granted, the Olympics don't come around every um, so often, only every two to four years, depending on which Olympics you're looking at. But I believe a flooding event that is the worst natural disaster since Hurricane Sandy deserves a little more coverage than that. I was going to say, this is a one in a thousand year flooding event. The Olympics come sooner than that. (laughs) True that, true that. With Sandy, it happened during an election cycle too, right before the 2012 election. But that got a ton of coverage. But then again, it happened in New York City, in Philly, in that area, right? But then also the idea that it wasn't really happening in a notable American city. We kind of all heard about the West Virginia flood. What notable American city was affected in that area? I mean, there are some big cities in in, in Virginia, West Virginia, but we also heard about Ellicott City in Maryland. 
I've never heard of Ellicott City. I would have called it Elliott City if I didn't look at it more clearly. And thinking about other big weather phenomena, we've had the uh, Greensburg, Kansas tornadoes, I believe, uh, the Joplin, Missouri tornadoes. And yeah, again, we don't, I don't know what was going on news wise in that cycle during those right. times, but, uh, exactly. I don't think I can completely buy the fact that this city wasn't very notable. So people didn't really, um, talk about it as much because Baton Rouge got hammered and they're kind of notable for a lot of different reasons. So it is. And I'm glad that you brought up the educational aspect of media coverage because that was my obvious answer as well. But then I also assume that there may be the potential to have more funds or more money that is being donated to these individuals if they get more coverage, um, maybe more supplies and that, that kind of thing is sent to their area. I also wonder if this can also act as maybe some type of experiential knowledge for people that are watching. And so maybe they see that a flood event like this can happen, the extremes of it, and then maybe it, that in itself can help them prepare themselves for the future or what to do in that situation. But then that also leads to is something else that I wrote down is at what point does the flood messaging change? So we have this flood message that we see all the time, turn around, don't drown. But when people aren't driving anymore, what message do you give them then? Um, turn around, get to high ground. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's true. But I mean, I mean, you have to think about these things like I that wasn't obvious to me. I've always heard over and over and over again, turn around, don't drown. But then. When people aren't driving anymore and the floodwaters keep rising, how do we get that message to them? Do they know what to do? What message is it? Especially in a place like, where they're you know, not used to it. I can see if you're in the mountain area or something and you get a lot of flash right. flooding, you know to get to high ground. Um, if you're down there, you know, we get tons of, of heavy rain every year from just a typical thunderstorm. Um, how do you tell people to get to high ground? And do they know that? You know, I've right. I've worked with preparedness messaging for for um, FEMA and stuff, and yeah, we do push for get to high ground. But the main message is because so many people die in a vehicle, that was the main push. You know, it's hard, but we can't tackle every single individual scenario. But we can try our best to, no, to get the exactly. information out there. Yeah. So I think that kind of leads in a little bit to this social media argument that we um, that you kind of came across and you brought up um, regarding how we communicate the totals, the rain totals that we see in these flood events yeah. and how much that kind of pays into it. So when I first saw this argument, I was wondering who their initial audience was. So I guess we should probably say the tweet or well yeah so my friend uh noah <laughs> we talked a lot in colorado and he brought up a twitter kind of sparring of sorts between two people um, regarding the communication of the amount of rain that fell in louisiana so i won't name the people because that's not really important but i will link the tweet so you can probably see who it is <laughs> um and you know i'm not shaming anybody i'm not calling anybody out but we just wanted to have a discussion about it so somebody here posted a um, radar estimate of how much rain fell in Greensburg, Louisiana. And they said, okay, roughly 40 inches have fallen. It's a very dangerous situation. And then the per somebody replied to them and said, you don't really need to say 40 inches of rain because of um, some errors with the radar estimation. It's pretty overdone. 40 inches of rain did not fall. We know that. 
And so people, uh, the person got kind of defensive and said, well, it was just a radar estimate anyway. You don't need to kind of police my, my social media report. Essentially, the argument is, does it matter when you're giving out these numbers, 40 inches versus the actual like 22 inches? Does it matter by giving out a physical number or do you tell people just, you know, be safe, be careful? Is it kind of bad if we use a really high number and in the end realize, okay, that was kind of an overestimation. Could that really be detrimental to the communication of the threat itself? My first question is the original tweet, who was the audience? Were they trying to tell people that were like in Greensburg about this or were they trying to tell others around the country about this situation? You know, I don't know what the person was thinking, but I would venture to say that it was just a holy crap 40 inches let me just post this out there because 40 inches gotcha. of rain holy crap kind of thing i don't think anybody was looking at it and thinking oh we should take shelter because honestly if you were in that area you probably already see that it's raining a, a right, whole exactly. bunch and so what good would that do is that really helping right. anybody i tweet severe weather stuff all the time but i don't think it really impacts other people in terms of oh here's a tornado warning oh someone saw my tweet and took shelter I'd hope they'd seek shelter and get information from their cell phone or from the local news or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I highly doubt the goal was to get people in that location to take shelter because they probably should have already gone to higher ground. Well, then, if that's the case, then I don't necessarily see the reason why 40 inches versus 29 inches would have an impact. But my next question is, would there actually be a difference between someone taking shelter or getting to high ground or not driving, whether they say 22 inches of rain or 40 inches of rain. Um, and I take that back. I think it was 29 inches is the estimate. Okay. Um, sorry about 29. that. Um, well, based on their tweet, 29 <clears throat> inches. But, you know, one inch of rain is already a lot. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. 29 and 40. Like, 29, I would already be like... Holy moly, undone. 29 like, inches. Yeah. That's pretty exactly. crazy. Um, that's like over two feet. I don't know. We don't see that those numbers very often. And when we do see 29 and 40, we're normally talking about snow, not rain. Um, right. So I don't really know that it really would make a big difference in terms of messaging public safety. But the one that the kind of the uh, person who was kind of questioning that information he has a good point too. As meteorologists, we really mm-hmm. should try to stick with the actual number and exactly. not try to um, inflate it or do anything that uh, would be inaccurate only to get people to do something, to take shelter or et cetera, right. et cetera. Um, hyping. Yeah, hyping AKA. essentially um, in a way. But hey, if 40 inches can get more social media buzz and get that shared and then people um see it and that might be their first way to see it and somehow they they haven't uh, sought shelter yet and then saw that twitter post and then sought shelter i guess one person would would be uh evidence enough right to play devil's advocate i kind of understand where this other person is coming from because i myself want to make sure that all the information that is out there is like 100% true and that everyone has the right information in order to make a decision and that kind of stuff. So it's definitely a fine line to walk and I totally understand this kind of this type of social meteorology um, topic and how difficult it is to deal with other people and deal with all the information that's out there, all the noise versus the signal. Here's another thought too. We've talked to a meteorologist at one point who said when she's giving a temperature forecast, she doesn't give 
sometimes the number that she will expect the temperature to be and verify, she will actually <laughs> right. um, adjust the temperature. So say she's forecasting for the south and the heat index is going to be really high in maybe 110. Mm -hmm. She might inflate her high temperature a couple of degrees to kind of reflect the fact that it'll feel hotter and people will definitely be suffering more in terms of the added moisture right. and humidity and everything else. Um, and if, you know, conditions warrant a lower perceived temperature and a lower apparent temperature, she'll lower her temperature like if forecast. It's cloudy. Yeah, if it's cloudy, um, an 89 degrees won't feel as bad if it's cloudy compared to sunny skies. So she might lower that from 89 to like 86. Whether or not it verifies is not the dilemma for her. It is more so the perception and per uh, how people perceive mm -hmm. her forecast to be. That is kind of a dangerous slippery slope, but mm -hmm. at the same time, mm -hmm. it makes sense. And we don't really think about that yeah, enough. It does. So, you know, I'm not completely upset about the 40 inches, but I, I, I see both sides. Give good information or give information that you think people would potentially act on. But then you're right. The scenario mm -hmm. matters too. Are they, is this tweet really aimed at people trying to get them to take <laughs> shelter or is it just kind of put out there for everyone to see? Looking at the billion-dollar disasters from the National um, Center for Environmental Information, um, you can see, and that's what the NCDC used to be. Now it's called NCEI. Mm. Um, there's a lot of different events that have happened within the past year. In 2016 alone, we've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight billion-dollar events, and that does not include the Louisiana flooding event yet, but that is definitely going to be over a million dollars the first event from 2016 was the uh tornado outbreak in february late february that affected anywhere from alabama up to texas or over to texas and then up to uh, virginia connecticut that was about a billion dollars in damage but then we also had the major flooding that happened in texas and louisiana with 1.3 billion dollars in damage We've had some hailstorms that have caused some some issues. The Houston flooding, which was separate from the Texas flooding, the that one happened in April, and $1.2 billion in damage. And we just had a bunch of different events, and it's kind of interesting to see the South Carolina flooding, that was also a really big deal, how all these events kind of culminate, and how many we've been getting, but then also the lack of coverage. So that kind of ties back into, okay, this was such a big event, why is nobody talking about it kind of thing? So that's kind of interesting, too. To, to kind of note from that when you it's interesting when you kind of sort them by the most money that the disasters caused it's really far down before you get to a 2016 event or any event that's like relatively recent so like the first 2016 one is like halfway down the list and it's the north and central texas hailstorm oh yeah so i see that 3.5 billion for anybody who might be saying okay well you know, now in 2016, money is more and inflation. These numbers are adjusted. Right. So if you're seeing an event from the 1980s compared to now, um, those numbers are adjusted to kind of compensate for inflation. So these numbers are all kind of on the same level in the same playing field and not necessarily on the amount of money it would be um, in terms of 1980 money or 1990 money. It'd be 2016 money. <laughs> Voila. I know nothing about economics, but... Uh, I try. I try. <laughs> so with these disasters, whether we like it or not, there's often these viral videos or viral photos that usually come about during the disaster. So one that I saw was there was this 
kid dancing in the back of a news reporter um with the floods and he was he was getting down he was he <laughs> he'd was get do- funky yeah he was it was pretty good i was kind of surprised was he doing like a specific dance move like the whipping no, or i was don't he just like twerking or, or i, I mean you're getting... asking you're asking the wrong person um i don't know all these dance <laughs> moves. you know all of your dance crazies what are you talking about <laughs> but he was you doing a lot well. of he was doing a lot of uh different things that i'd never seen before so i'm sure that they're very popular <laughs> things i've never seen before so sure they're very popular <laughs> I dances <laughs> he was doing the electric slide from decades ago but, and you've never seen that before <laughs> but um to keep his shuffle <laughs> i'm i really have no clue what the reporter talked about because i just watched the kid the whole time <laughs> so i mean like the boy got what he deserved um some, some spotlight and some fame and then um detracts you away from the main message like what more could you want this, where did, <laughs> this is where the media coverage went it yeah, went right, to the boy the <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in speaking of having more dramatic or interesting footage to kind of get people's attention and captivate the audience, uh, those is adorable. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just like melted and my my eyes started getting a little watery. You have to watch it. it. Um, but there was a some kind of uh, floating object. I forgot what that was, and there were like ten dachshund puppy and and adult puppies and dogs on the uh, on the whatever thing that was floating. And this guy parked his truck on, on land and then kind of swam out and kind of grabbed those dogs. Um, they're just floating and barking on the water, a bunch of them. And then um, he manages to tow that into the uh, – closer to his truck. And then he kind of just like picked up each puppy in, the, in, in their hand – and in his hands and put them in his truck. And then the reporter is, I think, videotaping with a GoPro or something. It's like, did you like just come back for these, these puppies? And he's like, yeah, I did. You know, most of them are mine. Some of them are, are my neighbor's puppies, but he's just like holding them by their, uh, their fur on their neck and just kind of like picking them up one by one and just putting them in his truck. And I just like, oh, these poor puppies. They're just so stranded and helpless, you know? And then he came and helped them out. So, um, one of apparently 1400 pets that were rescued. So, um, some serious crazy wow. stuff. But it was kind of heartwarming to see yeah. that. Anytime you have any kind of pet or dog or cat or horse that's involved, um, it's like kind of lighthearted kind of story, especially when it ends well. And then there's another one where it's, I think it's been called the most viral shared video of the flood. And it shows like the flood waters all the way up to like the roof of this house. And our friend Josh Ekus was able to go and he knew the person. And so he was able to go and tour the house and he kind of showed, he took a lot of pictures and showed like place by place, like what the floodwaters had done and like all the damage within this brand new house. And, um, so we'll throw that up on our website as well. Um, so yeah, there's, even though the coverage has been more limited than per se, like a normal kind of big disaster, uh, there has been still some pretty cool, um, interesting footage and video from this event and hopefully we can get these people the help and donations they need to be able to uh kind of move on and, and rebuild and we will definitely put all types of links um like safe places for you to donate if you would like to donate to these flood victims yeah, sure. on our website well unfortunately because we ran a little long on our passionate discussion about <laughs> the historic louisiana floods I think we should probably go ahead and skip to our song of the week. Yeah, let's do that. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I'm uh, <laughs> not feeling so great. I'm putting on yeah. a, a good face, but my a good uh, front. chugging all that, I just chugged round two. And oh my gosh, gag reflexes are not your friend when you're trying to chug some gross saline liquid. 
Yeah, so we'll, we're going to help men out here and kind Preach. of in the podcast. So what is your song of the week so you can get it over with? So so I can get it over with. Hey, I like this song a lot, okay? Um, okay, you do. So Alessia Cara, she is relatively new, and she came out with the song Here, where she's kind of singing about being at a party and really no one giving a crap, and she doesn't really care about being there. She also has a song, uh, Wild Things, uh, which has been great, but her... One Super of her, good. Yeah, one of her new songs I actually heard yesterday when I was at H&M. It's called Overdose, and... Ah, gosh, every time we describe a song, it's really hard to describe, and I wish I could just play it for you. One day when we have enough <laughs> money and we can take the songs and download them um, and pay for them <laughs> and put them on without being uh, sued, I'd like to do that. <laughs> but the song is, is, is really good. She hits all the, the great notes, and it's about kind of people, someone like, I guess, leading her on and then kind of taking her mm-hmm. up, you know, boy, I went off this roller coaster, you take me high just to bring me down. Um, it's just too much for her sometimes. And, and so she's acknowledging that. And, uh, I think we've all kind of been there. We've been there before where, uh, somebody's taken us to a, a, a whole new level, a great level. And then all of a sudden, just as nice as everything is, it kind of just kind of tanks and no one wants to have that feeling, but. And I listened to her right before, uh, the podcast and I think she does a, re- she's a really good storyteller, I think. Yeah. And she uses a lot of like the kind of drug words in her own way to explain what's going on in her life. So like, so like overdose and rehab and like all these words that we associate with like drug use and she reinterprets them into the, like what's going on in her personal life or whatever. So it's pretty cool. Over my head, over love. Oh, I over trust. <laughs> Give me a chance. Gotta, gotta get that sound bite in. <laughs> me down. Anyway, sorry. Castle, what's your song of the week? So my song of the week is Cool Girl by Tovlo. Um, I heard this, I think, yesterday or two days ago, and I was doing some writing, and I was like, you know what? This has a good, it's a good song, but in other words, it's very catchy, and she just says, I'm a cool girl over and over and over and over and over, but it has a really good beat to it, and... Can you give us a sample is, of it, please? She is... Oh god, I really hate this. I'm not the sample person, you're the sample person. But it's like, I'm a cool girl, I'm a, I'm a cool girl. Yeah, but um... Uh, I have mixed feelings about Tovalo in general. I don't know how I feel. I do too. I usually don't like particularly like her songs. Like, the Closer song with Nick Jonas, I could really care less. When I went and saw him concert, he um sang both verses, and it was a lot better, I thought. But I don't know, I really like her in this song. It gives me kind of a... Hmm, what kind of vibe does it give me? I don't know. If we're talking body, you got Yeah, see, I like that song, one, so too. put it on me. <laughs> I mean, that's a good song. I like that song. If you want me right, we love for life. Or F for life. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we don't use words like that on our podcast clean, anymore. Clean version. Clean, clean. Yes, we are. <laughs> Even though it still says explicit on mine, I can't figure out how to... On your what? Off. Like on my phone. If I go onto the podcast, it still shows explicit. Man, we've changed. We are better people and better podcasters because ways. I don't use curse words anymore. <laughs> well, I think it it never was the fact that you used a lot of curse words. We just, like, they came up every now and then. And I so know. on the original place we were, when we were on SoundCloud, we had to choose explicit or not explicit. There was no, like, choose when every episode, if you 
have like explicit words and stuff yeah so that kind of screwed us up i think because we originally did that so now i think it's kind of ingrained in the itunes like podcasting app yeah, or whatever yeah. <clears throat> oh well i hope hopefully no one turns away from us and thinks we're talking about like dirty things and <clears throat> weather because i'm not really sure what dirty things we could talk about but i mean there's a lot of like euphemisms well, yeah. you could use yeah with weather and rain shafts <laughs> oh god Debris now balls. we're having to get explicit that's not explicit it's explicit no anyway <laughs> um so you know i'm probably gonna have to start chugging my drink again oh my gosh every time i look at the clock it's another 15 minutes and i have to oh i can't oh, i cannot do this this is too much you can do it why you can do it. why world why are you so cool <laughs> i'm never drinking anything lemon lime flavor for a long time oh there goes your investment in sprite i don't really drink sprite so i don't either you know so. you know just saying you know you know anyway um you can find us in a lot of places including facebook.com slash weather hype and also our website weather hype podcast.com you can also find us on twitter uh at weather hype both words weather and hype or you can send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. And of course, iTunes and Google Play are just waiting for you to leave a review. And we'd love that too, to kind of work on some of our talks and podcasts. And then also um, just to boost us in the ratings so that more people can find us. So we actually do have one review now and it's pretty good. It's about, it's <laughs> from someone who doesn't normally listen to weather or that doesn't know a lot about weather. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's what they wrote in the review anyway. That's all I know. Yeah. Cool beans. Well, um, I'm going to probably run to the restroom pretty soon. So oh, I have to wrap this up, but, um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, and as always, hopefully, uh, this was pretty good information and we will talk I to think you guys so. soon. So until next yeah. time, until next time, stay hyped, stay hyped. The information of the uh, New Orleans flood, or not New Orleans, but the uh, the Louisiana flood. Excuse me. <laughs> wow, I'm just a hot mess right now. <laughs> All right, we'll do that again. Three, two, one.